following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. A couple weeks ago, I was gripped, like many of the people in our nation, probably many of you in this room, uh, by a story that came across news feeds pretty much everywhere. It was a story of 12 boys and their soccer coach. Uh, Most of you are probably familiar with the story, but in case you've lived underneath a rock for the past couple weeks, let me just give you a quick synopsis of what happens here. So 12 boys on a soccer team uh, had just finished up playing or practicing, and they decided to go on a quick hike. Apparently their coach didn't run them enough because afterwards they decided, let's go hiking. They and their coach here travel to the mouth of a cave. Uh, They've gone to this cave multiple times before. This is a normal venture for them. As they venture to the cave, though, as they begin to traverse through the cave, it begins to rain outside. If you've ever been in a cave before, you know that caves are generally, they're damp. Uh, There's usually water puddled up someplace inside. They usually have a constant temperature inside of them, so you can't tell fluctuations of what's happening outside. As they're exploring the cave, though, the rain increases and the pool water inside begins to rise. The boys get cut off from the entrance of the cave that they've made their way into and are pushed now further and further back inside of the cave. They end up traveling almost two and a half miles into the back recesses of the cave. And they're now situated on a small, dry ledge. As night begins to approach, the parents of these 12 boys notice that their kids are not home. So they begin to look. A search ensues, and they find the boys' bikes, as well as their soccer cleats, right outside the mouth of the cave. Fast forward with me nine days. Did you catch that? Nine Days. The boys have been in the cave now for nine days. The boys and their coach, however, are finally found. There's a dive team that ends up finding them. This is only the beginning, though. The boys are found. Now, however, they must be rescued. There are many complications to this rescue attempt, though. The boys and their coach are all exhausted. They're physically weakened. It has been nine days. There's also a problem with the terrain of the cave now. The cave has changed from the time that they went in into a cave now with many flooded passageways. No longer can the cave simply be traversed by foot. Many spots require full diving gear. One spot requires full diving gear that you have to remove and push in front of you or pull behind you. None of the boys are experienced in diving. Also, it's rainy season. There's a forecast of rain coming down. The rains came down and the floods came up. This isn't just a song that we sing with kids. It is actually science. The rain comes down and the floods actually do come up. Medical aid is sent into the cave now, so they have some supplies. The boys seem to be safe. However, they're not yet rescued. They still reside in the cave. Hope has given them a little glimmer, though. The world is now engaged in this story. 
It's about this moment where it becomes a national story. It brings together many creative strategies. How will we rescue these 12 young boys and their soccer coach? We had uh, news reports that they began scouring the hillsides looking for an alternate route, possibly into the cave. There was discussion of possibly drilling into the hillside to try and reach them. If you remember back in 2010, the 33 Chilean miners, that's exactly how they reached them who were stuck down in a collapsed mine. They drilled down into them to bring them up. Even our own Elon Musk from the United States, the uh, guy who's in charge of Tesla, one of the brightest minds, if you will, of uh, the United States, he even sends a team over with a small tube designed to hold a single boy inside that gives him continuous oxygen flow. If you're afraid of tight spaces, go ahead and give that a Google. It's, it's something. They have a full video of it. I watched it. It's terrifying. There's a bunch of divers, and it looks like they're holding an oxygen tank. They pull it out, and it turns out there's a full-grown man inside of there. I don't know how much Crisco was involved to get this full-grown man inside of that tube, but they did it. Glad it wasn't me. That is terrifying, and I'm not even afraid of tight spaces. As the great minds are thinking here, though, the forecast of rain is slowly approaching. And the forecast is not looking good. Rain is coming. It is rainy season. It is called rainy season because it rains during that season. It's eventually decided that the best plan of action is to hook each boy up with two divers, one in the front and one in the rear. They are then going to swim, dive, and traverse out of the cave. They began with the weakest boy first and eventually end with the strongest boys and the coach last. All 12 of the boys and the coach end up getting out. Whew, it was a relief. The news was so excited, and I was so excited as I was following along from day one, day two, day three, to see how many boys are getting out each one of these days. They're rescued by that third day. All of them are, and they're all sent to the hospital for care. Our world was gripped by this story. Every nation was sending their best and their brightest to help and to assist. The news, both local and national and international, were all covering this story. My social media feed was full of the latest pictures, the latest videos, the latest stories of the rescues. We all love a good rescue story. There's suspense. There's creativity. There's the overcoming of odds. Think of some of your favorite movies. What needs rescue in your favorite movie? How does it happen? Most movies have rescue as one of the main subplots of the movie, or even the main plot. My favorite movie is Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption, it's a movie about rescue, about a guy rescuing himself out of jail, as well as a guy rescuing himself and his other guy that he's a friend with in prison. Another, another movie, Toy Story. So I go from Shawshank Redemption to Toy Story. Toy Story, it's a, it's a movie about rescue. What is he getting rescued from? He's getting rescued back to Andy's house. Buzz and Woody are lost. They've got to get back to Andy's house. If you're a psychologist, there's also a rescue from insignificance that happens. That Woody's really struggling being insignificant now. Back to the future. What does he need rescue from? The 50s. He needs to get back to the future. He needs rescuing. The Goonies. The Goonies. What do they need rescue from? Their house is about to be taken over. 
They've got to be rescued from a lack of funds so that they can save their house and rescue their house. Because it's Shark Week this past week, Jaws, I think that one's self-explanatory, what you're rescuing from in that one. In fact, even the Chilean miner story of the 33 miners who were stuck in the cave, guess what? It got turned into a movie. I believe it's called 33. Very creative title. They needed rescue. Hollywood saw an opportunity to cash in on this story, and so they created 33, the Chilean minor rescue story. You know the ending. Yet, we all still wanted to watch that movie. At least I wanted to watch that movie. I don't know if anybody else did. I wanted to watch that movie, even though I knew what the outcome was, even though I knew what the ending was. I wanted to see it, to experience it for myself as much as I could through a movie. It's easy to read of rescue. It's much greater to see the evidence, though, of the rescue, to see the pictures, to see the videos, to put ourselves in the shoes of those needing rescue. I believe every person is so enthralled with rescue, and Hollywood chooses to make a dollar off of it, some because it's a common thread throughout humanity that we desire to be rescued ourselves. We were created by a God who rescues. It's been in his nature from the very beginning to rescue. We can trace a story of rescuing from the very beginning of our Bibles. Our text this morning of 2 Peter chapter 2 actually does exactly this. It walks us through examples of who God rescues. One of the key pieces of any rescue story is what we're being delivered from. In the story of the boys in Thailand, there are many questions regarding their circumstances. Can't they just walk out like they've walked in? Can't they just swim out? What does the cave look like? Is there enough oxygen for them back there? How much time do we actually have? All of these questions and circumstances make the rescue that much greater. The rescue attempt is only as great as the captor. The story wouldn't have gained the attention it did if they were trapped in a cave, stocked with supplies. The captor, the cave, is what made the rescue so enthralling. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, and we're going to read of a God who rescues. Follow along with me. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. As we look at this text, I think it's important we first look at our cave, our captor. What is it that we need rescued from? Who is our captor? In our text, we're presented with uh, three different groups as well as two individuals. We see in this text both rescue and the opposite, destruction. Let's focus first on our three groups. They are angels, the ancient world, and Sodom and Gomorrah. All three of these groups, as our text says, are destroyed. They're destroyed, in fact, for the same reason. God deals justly with sin. 
What does sin deserve? According to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Sin deserves death. God is just. Therefore, if we are sinful, then the right outcome is death. We can see with these three groups that death is what is in view. The angels are cast into hell, an eternal death. They're physically and spiritually separated here from God. The ancient world is not spared. Sodom and Gomorrah are turned to ashes and condemned to extinction. Their actions and even their inactions have caused their destruction. Yikes, this seems really, really harsh. Instead of being harsh, though, it is just. It is deserved. In fact, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it is completely deserved. It is deserved for the two individuals in our text of Noah and Lot, as well as for you and for myself. Death is what is earned from sin. From the beginning of our Bibles, sin has needed a sacrifice. It has needed a blood covering. This is the way that God has designed things to be from the very beginning of time. We can trace this story all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when man and woman first sinned. It was at this point we see how God deals with sin. He is just. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden forever. Their day-to-day dealings are now changed. Most importantly, though, their relationship with God isn't what it once was. To think that God is just, it's quite terrifying to most of us, especially whenever we compare God's justness with the doctrine of total depravity that we are born into this world as sinful beings. We continue to act upon our own sin and show that we are continually sinful. If we were to take this to a courtroom proceeding, you are an individual who continually breaks the law. You're about to head to trial. Your lawyer calls you up and says, Hey, Mr. Curtis, we found out who your judge is, and I've got some bad news. It's actually the most just judge that we've ever seen in the court system. What are you feeling in that moment? Most likely, there's a lot of fear within you. You know the crimes that you have committed. You know the punishment that those crimes deserve. Such is the case with us and our sin. We know the sins that we have committed, and we know the Bible speaks harshly against sin. This text alone, we see how God deals with sin. To hear that God is just isn't a warm, comforting blanket when we're on the wrong side of justice. This is our rescue story. We are in need of rescue. We're in the back of the cave and things aren't looking good. We see the water rising. You can see the flashlight fading. You see the food disappearing. You can feel the fear of those around you. Where is our rescuer? Continue with me in verse 7. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his soul, his righteous soul, over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Then the Lord knows how to rescue. This isn't foreign to God. Just as our text began with God showing us what happens to those who are against God, 
He now shows us what happens to those who are righteous. Noah was rescued. Lot was rescued. The text presents this as a comfort to us. Just as they were rescued, it should give us hope for our own rescue. Every rescue, however, comes with a cost. The cost can be cheap. If you need to be rescued because you've locked yourself out of your house, it will only cost your spouse a little bit of time to come home and unlock the door for you so you can re-enter your house. It's not very significant in comparison to some other rescues, but there's still a cost. The cost in that case is simply a little bit of time for yourself and for your spouse, as well as maybe a little bit of sweat in the San Antonio heat while you stand outside. The cost, however, can be rather significant for any rescue. If you look back on the cost for the soccer team in Thailand, there's really two major costs. One is a financial cost. This rescue mission was not cheap. There were many dollars that were spent to rescue these boys from the cave. There's many nations that are flying in. There are supplies. There's equipment needed to pump out the water. There's equipment needed to pump in oxygen. There's the food. There's the shelter for those attempting and to plan the rescue. I don't have an estimated cost value to toss your way. However, just imagine if you and some friends decided simply to go over the other side of the globe and just simply have dinner. There's a cost involved with that. These individuals are going there not just to have dinner, but bringing supplies and bringing their own means to rescue these individuals. There's also a loss of life that occurred in Thailand. During the initial stages of rescue, a former Navy diver from Thailand uh, was on a supply run supplying oxygen. Uh, He would go down and he would uh, restock the oxygen bottles that they are reserving um, in the flooded areas. He ends up passing away. He ends up dying. He he risks his life to save 12 boys and a coach that he didn't know. And unfortunately, he had to pay the ultimate price for it. When this happened, it made the rescue of those 12 boys and their coach even that much more intense. A trained diver passed away on a supply run. How are these boys ever going to make it out alive? How many more people will lose their lives in the midst of this? Every rescue will come with a cost. The same is true of our own rescue. This is a huge cost from our rescue from our sin. We've already seen what the wages of sin is. It is death. What does sin earn you? It's death. This is the cost for our rescue. It must be paid. Church, that debt has been paid on your behalf. You see, our God isn't just a God that is just, but he's also full of grace and full of mercy. The debt of the rescue was not passed on to you and to me. The debt of our rescue was passed on to the Son of God. It was passed on to God in the flesh. It was passed on to Jesus. Christ, the holy and righteous one. The debt payment has been made. It was made in full upon the cross at Calvary. It was paid with blood and it was paid with pain. Christ willingly marched to the cross and was nailed to the cross to pay the debt of the people he hadn't even met yet. Those people fill this room this morning. God is just, but he's also full of grace. He's also full of mercy. The punishment was not simply skipped over. Remember, God is just. That is not just. The judge didn't declare a guilty party innocent. He declared a guilty party guilty. Yet, the sentencing was passed. 
It was passed to the individual next to us. The individual who asked to take our punishment upon his shoulders. The debt was paid by Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our rescue. This is our rescuer. This is the cost. With every rescue, we have some very tough decisions that have to be made. These decisions weigh the cost and the effort with the lives that are at stake. Are the people in need of rescue worthy of the cost? Would the story change if it wasn't a team of 12-year-old boys? Would it change if it was instead a single 85-year-old man with dementia who happened to stumble into the cave and ended up in the back of it? Does that change the circumstances of the story? Does that change the rescue efforts of the story? Would have someone national news that we all got caught up in? As we looked at our own rescue, it isn't a matter of worth or not. We all are, we all are unworthy. God, however, displays his mercy to us. Carolyn just read it for us in Romans 5, 6 through 8, that the just has died for the unjust. While we were still enemies of God, the just died for the unjust. We were not worthy of rescue, yet God still made a way. In our text, though, there are some who are rescued and others who are destroyed. What is the difference about these two different groups? Why are the angels, the ancient world in Sodom and Gomorrah, destroyed while Noah and Lot are rescued? Some of you might have looked at this text and been slightly confused. If we look back at verse 5, we see Noah described as righteous. And in verse 7, we see a very interesting word describing Lot. He is called righteous Lot. It goes on to describe his being distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Verse 8 even says he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds. <clears throat> this might not sound like the lot you remember. We've just recently been in Genesis. We didn't quite get to this point, but we're right at the edge of it. If we look at Lot in Genesis 19, we see some things that are far from righteous. There are some angels who come into the city of Sodom. Lot welcomes these angels into his home. The men of the city hear about these special guests, and they go towards Lot, and they approach him. Lot wants to protect these angels, so he offers to these men, knocking on his door, his two virgin daughters for the men to do with as they please. This doesn't sound like the same righteous Lot we see here in 2 Peter chapter 2. What is it about the Lot of 2 Peter 2 that makes him righteous? It cannot be the actions of Lot that make him righteous. If it were, Genesis 19, we have a big problem there. If we look at the other individual in our text, Noah, we might have questions regarding his own righteousness as well. Noah is quite known for the ark. That's the story that we proclaim to all of our children. Noah Righteous man builds this boat two by two. Dove comes. They land on the land. Everything is great. Yay, righteous Noah. However, 
What we might not be as familiar with is what happens right after Noah lands and they're on the actual physical land now. First thing he does, he builds a vineyard and he gets drunk in Genesis chapter 9. This is righteous Noah. We often leave that part out. Noah is recorded as planting a vineyard. In case you've ever planted a vineyard, they don't like just pop up all of a sudden. I'm sure the grass is really fertile from all the water. However, a vineyard will not grow that fast. Yet the first thing we have recorded about what happens with Noah, plants a vineyard and gets drunk, showing us his righteousness. Maybe, maybe Peter here should have picked a different set of people in this point that God rescued. Maybe Noah and Lot weren't the best choices, but it was all he could think of in that moment. Maybe he should have chose David because his life was... Wait, no, that's not going to work. That, that, that's a bad one. Maybe he should have chose me or you. Well, that's still... I know my own unrighteousness. I can't fit in that category. I believe that we need to connect the dots here between Genesis chapter 9 and 19 and 2 Peter 2. I think if we look at Genesis 19.29, we see the key here to Lot. It reads this, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God remembered Abraham. Abraham. This is a profound statement. I believe what God is saying here is that God remembered the covenant of Abraham. Lot is righteous because of Abraham. He's righteous because Lot remembered the God of Abraham. Lot can be declared righteous in the exact same way that you and I can be declared righteous. It is our faith in God which declares us as righteous. Lot was a sinner, like you and like me. Peter isn't denying the acts of Lot. Lot wasn't righteous because of his actions. There does seem to be an inner turmoil that is affecting Lot here regarding the sin that is around him. We see that. It might not show up in his actions, but the inner man seems to understand what is right and what is wrong according to God. Faith alone is what saves Lot from the destruction of Sodom. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, God declares Noah as righteous. This is before he even gives him the command to build the ark. This is before the vineyard incident. God knew all of these things would occur, yet he still chooses to declare Noah as righteous. It is faith alone that declares Noah as righteous. Peter points this destruction and this rescue and he now turns it to you and to me. Just as God rescued Noah from the flood, he will do the same for us. Our text says that God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Let's take a step back and remember the timing and the setting of this letter, of Second Peter, the events that surround its writing. There's persecution happening within the land. We have Nero Nero is ruling. If you'd love to do some uh, church history studies, go check out Nero. It is fascinating how terrible this guy was. He literally would grab Christians and use them as torches for his garden. He would literally put them on stakes, burn them so that he could see his garden at night still. 
The very people who walked with Christ are now dying. Is this the end of a movement? Is the rally cry of Christ now over? Peter's declaring loudly, continue forward. Even though things are beginning to look dark for the Christians, he lets them know that God is still in control and is still sovereign. Imagine that you're in the cave with those 12 soccer players. The food is all gone. Your stomach is beginning to rumble. The flashlight batteries are now so exhausted that flicking the switch does nothing. You can hear the dripping of water. You know that the pools are rising. It's easy to lose hope. Although we might not be in the cave right now, we have all been in a cave at some point in our lives. Push forward. Do not give up hope, Christian. When it becomes hard and difficult, rest upon this text. God knows how to rescue. We have been rescued, and we will be rescued. We have been rescued from our own sin. What else has God rescued you from, though? There are countless stories of rescue, both big and small, that you can probably point towards. For some of you, God has rescued your marriage. Rejoice in the God who rescues. For others of you, God has rescued you from addiction. Rejoice in the God who rescues. For others of you in this room, maybe God is currently rescuing you from your own sin. What would happen when the divers were attempting to rescue the boys if suddenly the boys decided that they knew a better way out? What would happen when the boy decides that his rescue plan is actually better? What would happen when he decides to go left when the diver wants to go right? Oftentimes, this is how we approach God. He is ready and he is willing to rescue us right now. Are you currently telling God that your rescue plan is better? Are you even aware of what you currently need God to rescue you from? Oftentimes, we fall into the habit of trying to escape the cave ourselves. Once we've exhausted every single option, then we ask God to rescue us. What do you need to hand over to God right now? When the boys exited the cave, they were all immediately taken into the hospital for care. This wasn't just physical care, though. They secluded them. They let them in isolation, just the 12 of them and the coach alone. The boys will experience some post-traumatic stress disorder. They will experience some PTSD. They've gone through an extreme event, and it will change them. Brothers and sisters, you have gone through an extreme event, and it should change you. You are a new creation. Oftentimes, we seem to forget all of the times that God has rescued us. Do me a favor. This week, I'd love for you to write down your own rescue story. We have recorded in our Bible the rescue story of Noah and of Lot. What's the rescue story of you? How are you now changed because of the work that God has done on your behalf? This morning, we looked at two individuals who have been rescued. I think they're, looking, they're, they're worthy to look at from even a broader perspective now. Ask yourself a question. Are you similar more towards Noah or towards Lot? Noah was declared as righteous a long time, but has since done some actions that may not be seen as righteous. Can you relate to that this morning? Possibly for some of you in this room, you were declared righteous by the blood of Christ many years ago. But today, you're living a life which is far from righteous. 
Everyone around you thinks you are righteous, but inside, you know the current sin within you. For all the Noahs in the room, my response to you is this. Repent and rest in the righteousness of Christ. Maybe you find yourself this morning to be a little bit more like Lot. Noah was declared as righteous, and then we see his sin on display. Lot, on the other hand, shows us his sin, and then we see his righteousness. For some of, the, some of you in this room, your righteousness is incorrectly resting in your own hands. The only thing you can point towards is your own actions for your own righteousness. For all the lots in the room, my response to you is the same. Repent and rest in the righteousness of Christ. Where are you this morning? Are you looking back at the cave and remembering? Are you currently in the cave, still waiting on a rescuer? Repent and rest in the rescuer. That is Christ Jesus, our Lord. The text shows us two different groups with two very different outcomes. There are the angels, the ancient world, and Sodom and Gomorrah on one side, and Noah and Lot on the other. Although their outcomes are different, there's a very common trait that they both share. They are sinful. The only difference between the two groups of people is that one group is declared righteous, and the other group suffers destruction. The same is true today. I stand before you as a sinner. The only difference between myself and any of the groups that we see listed here in this text, except for the angels, is time. The letter of 2 Peter is old, but it is not foreign. The Lord is just and merciful. He rescues the righteous. Just as he has done before, he will do again. This morning as a sinner, speaking to a group full of sinners, are you able to declare your righteousness because of his righteousness? Are you able to point back to your rescue? Has the cost of your rescue been paid? When the food is gone, when the lights have faded, and the hope is dwindling down, can you rest in the hands of the rescuer? Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, Lord, I thank you for the way that this text has impacted me. Father, I thank you for you being a God who rescues. Father, this is not a new plan, but this has been your plan from the very beginning. Father, I thank you for the rescue that you have made through Christ. Father, I pray for us this morning. Lord, I pray that the caves that we are in, Lord, that we cast at your feet. Lord, that we will not be self-sufficient, Lord, but we will be sufficient upon you. We will be resting in your work. Father, our captor is great. Lord, but as your word says, you have overcome. Father, we stand and declare that. Lord, that you have overcome. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have made a way through Christ. Lord, and this morning we acknowledge that he is our rescuer. Father, I pray for every single individual in here. Lord, I pray that they would all find comfort in you. That they would all find hope in you. 
Father, and they would all find the work of your Son upon the cross. Lord, it is in Christ's name that we pray.